Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. So glad you're here. Let me ask you a question. You glad to be at church today? All right. Hey, that was good. That got me excited. Well, I am glad you're here. I hope you had a great week and a great weekend. If we haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor here at BT Church and I have the honor of taking us into God's Word today. Speaking of that, if you have a copy of God's Word, digital or physical, and I hope you do, why don't you meet me in the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. Towards the end of the New Testament, 1 Timothy, right before the book of 2 Timothy, so there you go, uh, that's where you can find it. And as you turn there, let me do a few things. I want to again welcome our VIPs, those are first-time guests in the room and online. Let's give it up for the VIPs today. I am so glad that you're with us, and I pray that you are blessed by your time. And I want to welcome our online family one more time. Let's give it up for the BT online family. Glad you guys are tuned in. Uh, at BT, we believe in a culture of celebration. Amen? Uh, we believe that, that was inspiring. And um, <laughs> amen. We believe in celebrating uh, what God is doing, what he's done, what he's doing, and even what he's going to do. And uh, like any discipline... If you don't practice it, you get bad at it, right? And that's, that's happening in lots of churches today. Lots of churches aren't celebrating what God is doing, and so they're just kind of getting angry about everything. And we don't want that to happen to us, so we want to celebrate what God is doing. So let's celebrate some things together. I want to start off a little differently. Uh, yesterday, we uh, hosted our second of the year uh, Dream Team Conference. And so every year, we, we, we host two Dream Team Conferences, and the dream team, you're like, what is the dream team? Well, it's the greatest basketball team ever assembled in 1992. But it is also, it is also what we call the volunteer base of BT Church. Listen, our church is led by um, a, a small group of elders, some of the, the greatest men I know. We are led by an amazing church staff. I mean, the best team I've ever been a part of, right? But really, the ministry of our church goes forward not because of a handful of elders or a large church staff. Our ministry goes forward because of the people who give of their time and energy to serve the kingdom of God in the local church. And we call those individuals the dream team of VT Church. And I just want to take a minute to give it up for our dream teamers here in the room. Let's just make some noise for those that serve uh, so faithfully. And so I celebrate our dream team. We also celebrate together that so far this year, 285 people have gone from death to life as they, as they have called upon the name of Jesus for salvation. And 186 people have been obedient in believers' baptism, taking that next step, saying to the church family, I have decided to follow Jesus. We call it believers' baptism because it is for believers, right? Uh, the truth is, if you haven't given your life to Jesus and received the free gift of salvation, then whether you're baptized as an infant, child, adult, anywhere in between, whenever you're baptized, if you don't know Jesus, then you're just getting wet, right? Water in any form doesn't have the power to save, only Jesus does. We believe that the scripture teaches us that after aligning our lives with him through salvation, we then go public with that declaration through the obedient act of of believers' baptism, and so we celebrate that 186 people this year uh, have made that decision. Uh, and then one more thing before I move on, I, I, you know, we, we welcome our guests and we welcome our online family. I also want to make sure I don't do this often enough, but let's welcome our ASL family right over here. We're thankful to have y'all and our interpreters that keep up with my fast-talking self. So welcome. 
I feel bad for you, but I'm not going to slow down. <laughs> hey, so we're in the last week of a series entitled Saints Together. And throughout the series, what we've been doing is talking about what, is, what does Christian community look like? What, what does it mean to belong to the family of God? And we've talked about uh, the fact that, that doing life together, being in community, helps us face hard times. That, that having a community around you helps you in the face of adversity. That community helps us stand strong in a godless culture. That, that community helps us have the eyes of Jesus to see people the way he sees them. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to see people the way I want to see them. And I need some God goggles to fix my vision, right? Community uh, gives us a new culture, right? Sets us apart. And uh, that's where we've gone so far. If you've missed a sermon, you can catch up uh, online uh, on our app, on the website, or on YouTube, search BT Church. But, but today, we're going to wrap up this series, and I hope you've enjoyed it. We're going to wrap up this series by talking about the care of community. The care of community. And, and I'm just going to warn you now, we're going to talk about a really difficult subject today. Uh, and so just for your reference, the exits are in the back of the room and to my right and left. I'm joking. I'm joking. Don't leave. We're going to lock them actually right now, guys, if you can get the... Um, now we're going to talk about a difficult subject because the truth is when you live life in community, what you gain is if you're genuinely in community, you gain the care of people who when they see you going off course, they're going to call you out. They're not going to sit idly by while you seek to destroy your life. They're going to they're shoot the flare guns, sound the alarms, send the ships out to bring you back, and that is a care of community. Now, we don't always like that, right? Some of us, we've, we've veered off on our own. We've swerved away from the Lord's way, and we didn't always like it when people came after us, and sometimes it was even painful, but in the care of community, momentary pain is we're willing to give that out for the sake of preventing someone from a life-altering experience of heartache. Some cases, it could be called church discipline. That, that's a very specific practice. I don't have time to get into all that. We practice corporate church discipline as a church through our elder meetings, just FYI. But in community, we're called to lock arms with each other and to care for each other so much so that when someone starts to go off course, we don't sit idly by and say, well, I hope it works out. We go after them and sometimes in the going after them because we want them to actually come back, we end up actually leaving them to themselves to chart that course in hopes and prayers that at some point in time that prodigal will realize that the father has never stopped loving them and they will indeed come back home. Amen? All right. Let's take a look at the book of 1 Timothy and we're going to look at the last few verses and we're going to talk about how the care of community helps us um, be better. This is what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, by the way, Paul is writing this letter to a guy named Timothy, a son in the faith, a younger brother in the faith. Uh, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus. Uh, and so just, just for Bible knowledge, just so you know, um, the church at Ephesus, this would be the third book of the Bible they would actually receive. Paul wrote it to Timothy, but Timothy was in Ephesus, and so the church would have received that. The church of Ephesus would also receive the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, that's a, and then what's sometimes not known is that the church of Ephesus also would have received, uh, they would have had in their possession the, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians. You're like, what? 
See, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians while he was in Ephesus for three years. And since he wrote it while he was there, he would have had people in the church copy it. And so they actually, before sending it on to Corinth, they would have reviewed that letter. Does that make sense? So this is the third letter. This is just Bible knowledge. The third letter that the church at Ephesus would receive, even though Paul was addressing it to his son in the faith, Timothy. And this is what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight. Everybody say, fight the good fight. fight. Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked their faith. Everybody say, shipwrecked. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Everybody say Hymenaeus. No reason. I just wanted to hear you say Hymenaeus. Anyways. Gotcha. Whom I have delivered to Satan so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Are you already encouraged by the passage today, right? He says there are some that have shipwrecked their faith. They've rejected faith in good sense, and because they would not come back, Paul says, I delivered them over to Satan. Chris, how is this going to get encouraging? Stay with me. I want to talk about three ways based on these few verses that that when we live in community. Now listen, living in community isn't the same thing as showing up for church. When we live in community, three ways that the care of community impacts our lives. And here's the first thing I want you to write down. The first care of community is enduring encouragement. Enduring encouragement. Paul says this at the very beginning of the passage. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction. What does that mean? Paul is at the end of his life here, and he is continuing to pour into Timothy. Paul and Timothy's relationship, we say it this way a lot in the church, all of us need a Paul, right? Someone who's pouring into us, and all of us need a Timothy, someone we're pouring into. And Paul did not distance himself from his son in the faith. He says, I am giving you this instruction. I am continuing to cheer you on, to be in your corner, to give you information. I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling, so you remember how much we believe in you and you can fight the good fight. Pastor Jim Simbola of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn, New York reminds us that Paul did not say, dance the good dance. It would be nice if he did. Like, how much more encouraging would that passage be, right? I have danced the good dance. He didn't say that I partied the good party. He says, fight the good fight. Remember this, beloved, there are two truths. We are under attack. We usually remember that fact. But in case you've forgotten, we are under attack. Jesus would say that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of us today in this room watching online, some of us today are playing games with the thief who wants to destroy our lives. God is a rabbit's foot that we keep around for a rainy day so we have someone to call on to make our business work better or our family work better. But when we feel like we don't need him, we don't rely on him, right? And we are playing games with the thief who is a roaring lion. And so we are very much under attack. If you have said yes to Jesus, Satan cannot strip your salvation away from you. You are sealed by the Spirit. 
but he can take the joy of your salvation away. And so we remember that we fight the good fight, that we are under attack, but sometimes we forget this other part. We are also on the attack. We do not fight against flesh and blood. That's the problem in many churches. They fight against each other. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against against principalities and powers of darkness in the air, the prince of darkness, Satan. So we are on the attack, but here's the good news. As we are on on the attack, we already have won. Like the victory is already decided. End of the book, read it. We win because Jesus wins. And so Paul, in continuing in committed and enduring encouragement, he says to Timothy, I am giving you yet again some instruction to remind you of who you've been called to be so that you can fight the good fight, be ready for the attack, and be on the attack. Beloved, encouraging each other is like evangelism. And this is what I mean. Evangelism is the act of telling people about Jesus, right? Some people have that gift. They have the gift to tell people about Jesus, Some people don't, but every person who has said yes to Jesus has the responsibility. It is not only for evangelists. Some people have the gift of encouragement. I do not, (laughs) but I have the responsibility. I have the responsibility to look at my brothers and sisters in Jesus and, and to, as often as I can, encourage you. As you encourage me. And so part of the care of community is an enduring encouragement, seeing how we are going to look out for each other and push each other forward in the good fight. Second thing I want you to write down is this, difficult discipleship. Difficult discipleship. Paul again goes on to say that Timothy, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. What did they reject? They rejected faith and good sense. He says, you continue on having faith and a good conscience, but some have rejected this and they have shipwrecked their faith. Let me just point this out. The people that Paul is talking about, they are believers in Jesus. How do I know that? Because they shipwrecked what? One more time. They shipwrecked what? Their faith. faith. You can't shipwreck what you don't have. It is a biblical reality that there are some people who will experience life in Jesus. They will be born again, no salvation. They, they, will, they will know the truth. Whatever you want to say, they, are, they have changed their eternity from hell to heaven. And yet, even though they know Jesus, they will willfully walk in a different direction, not resulting in the loss of their salvation, but definitely resulting in a life of pain. In fact, Timothy, uh, Paul addresses this actually earlier in in chapter 1. He says this in verse 6. He says, some have departed from these, these being a pure heart, faith, and conscience. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. And so here's the reality that, that there are some people in the faith, there are some people, listen to me, in our church that are either already in the course of walking away by fulfilling the desires of the flesh, or they will at some point in time do that. Ouch. And Paul says to Timothy, keep the faith and the good conscience. Some have rejected that, and they have shipwrecked their faith. The reason why I point this out time over and over again is because these are believers that are walking in disobedience. I say this often. We, listen, when people who don't know Jesus, you know how they live? 
They live like they don't know Jesus in the ignorance of their absence of faith. That's what it is. And we pray for those people to come to saving faith in Jesus. But people who know Jesus, who walk like they don't, that's where the care of community comes in through difficult discipleship. Paul would say they rejected this. They shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Aren't you glad that, that Paul is not the senior pastor of this church? I mean, I just want you to let sink in what, what just happened here. He's like, there are some people who have shipwrecked their faith, and then and, and it's like, and, I just, and like Isauro living in sin. Uh, and Wally, yeah, uh, he's a liar, right? You're like, where are you going to go? I'm going to stop right there, all right? <laughs> people getting nervous. But I mean, Paul, he's like, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they have rejected this. And he says, and I have delivered them to Satan. What does that mean? That, that same phrase would show up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, by the way, when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he's telling them, hey, I heard about, I heard about a dude who's having a sexual relationship with his stepmom. That's what it says, that a young man was, was sexually immoral with his father's wife, right? He says, I, I heard about that. And he says that the church in Corinth was like proud about it. And he says, I may not be there in person, but I'm there in spirit. And I have already broken fellowship with this dude. And I'm not even there yet. And he, he uses this phrase, deliver them over to Satan. What does that mean? I want you to picture this with me. P picture a, a naval fleet of warships. Because remember, we are on the attack and under attack, right? Picture a great naval fleet, maybe the, the Pacific fleet of the Second World War under the uh, control and instruction of Admiral Nimitz, right? I mean, some, some great fleet of warships and confession, by the way, I've never served in the Navy, so I'm speaking of things I do not know. Just want to be clear before you're like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, all right? But, 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 but picture this fleet, and, and they're, 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 they're setting a course. And, and listen, this isn't like a, a collection of fishing boats out for a, uh, a competition, right? It, it's not jet skis out for a day of leisure at the island. These are warships on mission. And as they are setting the course, maybe you're preparing for enemy waters. Imagine, and let me just clarify, every ship is a member of the church. It's not that every church is a warship. Every member, because membership matters. Every member of the local church is, is one of these warships. And as the, the, the fleet that is BT is making its way through the waters, imagine that one ship starts to just kind of veer off course. And, and the problem of veering off course is you could find yourself in enemy waters without protection you could on your own not have the intelligence informations of the whole fleet coming from the lead ship that knows where there are maybe underwater uh, reefs or underwater dangers, right? And so we stay together, so we, we sail in the right depth of water. And so one ship just, boop, just, just turns, right? Never sit on the front row again. And so Tony, my friend here, he's just like, boop, turns, right? Just on his own. And, and we see it, right? So, so as a church or as a community group, as a, as a body of believers going in a direction together, we see somebody because guess what? When a fleet of ships is going one direction and one changes course, you know what it is? Obvious. 
So here's a freebie for you. When you live in sin and you think you're hiding it really well, it's obvious. It's even more obvious when you put it on social media and you friend your pastor, but whatever. So, um, you're like, wow, I just lost like a thousand friends. Okay, so. And so what does the church do? And listen, listen to me. This is not the most fun sermon I've ever preached in my life. Trust me. And I'm just getting, many churches won't preach this one. But we're called to teach the whole counsel of God. So what does the church do when one of the vessels just straight veers off? Do we sit back and go, mm, I hope he comes back. That is, that's a bad direction. Do we, do we huddle up and say, hey, we need to pray because, because Tony is going that way. Of course, we, 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 we want to pray. But no, when we see a vessel heading that direction, we sound an alarm to get their attention. We, we shoot a flare gun in the air. Let me clarify, a flare gun, a flare gun we don't shoot at each other. It's another practice of the church. Like, sink them. No, we don't sink them. That's not what we do. And so flare guns, and then, and then when the ship continues on their own off course, maybe two or three peel off from the fleet, and they try to flank that ship and say, hey, you're headed the wrong direction, that there, there is enemy waters, that there are enemies prepared for you, there's a fleet of warships waiting on you that direction, we're going this way, hey, you're headed towards shallow water, you're going to run ashore, come back, come back, come back, but at some point in time, Unfortunately, there are people in the faith, and they're like, you know what? I like enemy waters. I like shallow water. I like reefs. Stop telling me what to do. And no matter what we do, flares in the air, alarms being sounded, they just want to keep going that direction. And difficult discipleship will reach that point in time where for the sake of the whole, and the care of the individual, the only thing left to do is hand him over to Satan. And what Paul is speaking here, it is not joyful, but it is loving. And we say, I hope that when you run ashore or when you reach enemy waters, you'll remember the, 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 the safety of the family and come back. This is Luke 15, by the way, the story of the lost son. Remember that story? There's a father who has two sons. The younger one comes to him and says, Dad, I, I want my inheritance, a.k.a. I wish you were dead. What the young son told the father in that culture, the father could have disowned and brought legal charges against that son. But the father liquidates half of his assets and gives the son a bag of cash. And you know the story, the son goes and lives wild and free and we can debate whether the father made the right decision, but that's what's in the text. The father did that. Do you think it's possible that the father knew what was going to happen to the young son? He's probably wiser, more life experience, right? He probably knows. He's probably got tears streaming down his face as he's begging his son, please don't go. Take the money. Build a house on the land. Work with me. Please don't go. But eventually the son is so determined 
to make his own way and to live his own life. The father gives him the money. And I'm not trying to add to the text, but I believe hoping that at some point in time when the son would reach the end of himself, he would know there's a father to come back to. But probably knowing what the son was going to face, abandonment, wishing he could eat with the pigs. A lot of times preachers say he ate with the pigs. No, it says he longed to eat with the pigs. He didn't even get to eat with them. And so hear me, beloved, that that sometimes the care of the community involves shooting flare guns and sounding alarms and sending people after the one who's off there on their own. We don't cross our fingers and huddle up. We go after the one, right? Leaves the 99. But beloved, that only happens when you're in community. If you go off on your own and live how you want and you don't belong to anyone, who's coming after you? And that's why I said at the beginning, you can come to church and not be in community. And so Paul says, listen, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they they rejected faith. They rejected good sense. And I had no choice but to leave them to themselves. That is literally what it means to hand them over to Satan. Sometimes, this for our own information, what that means corporately is that a church, and it happens different ways in different churches, has to make difficult decisions to say that someone is no longer a member. They're no longer a part of the family. That's, and, and we don't look to do that. We, we've had to make that. We, at our church, we do that through our elder meetings. We've had to make that decision. We've had to inform people. Listen, we are not going, it's going to take a lot for us to tell someone they cannot worship here. Okay? It's going to take, like, affecting the safety of the flock. If we feel someone is a danger, and we've had to make that decision. But there have been people that have come to worship, yes, but they didn't come as a member any longer because we told them you are living in a pattern of sinful desires and we have talked to you multiple times and you continue to go down this pattern. And so out of love, we just want you to know that you're no longer a part of the, of the membership of this family. You're like, well, what's the difference? Spiritually, beloved, just spiritually, church membership is like a shield against demonic activity. You get that? People are like, oh, membership doesn't matter. It's not in the Bible. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to our faith that the one God, same in essence, exists, exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And there's this other thing that all the things the church practices in the New Testament, you can't do without church membership. And when we connect to the church and we belong in a meaningful way and we use our gifts to serve and we give of our resources and tithes and offerings to further the mission, when we do that, we're literally coming underneath the shield of the local church, God's vessel for life change. And listen, demonic activity is all out there, amen? You don't got to look for it. And the, the church acts as a shield against that when we come together. And so sometimes corporately, just just for information, corporately, a church has to make a decision to say, you are continuing to live a life, and that pattern is destruction, and we have done everything we can to try to bring you back, and we want you to know that as of now, you are not a member of this fellowship. When you want to come back, you're welcome, but you got to come back. You, you, You can't keep heading your own direction. Some of you are getting real nervous, like, oh. Just for the record, like, 
our, our pastoral staff, our elder, we don't go like investigating, you know, like, hmm, let's see, uh, how has this person sinned this week, you know? Do you, do you know why we don't? Because we're all sinners saved by grace. And this is for free. This, I'm going to move on. But I believe the Lord brought this message because I'm just going to tell you, there are some in our church, no, the church, in this church, and you have given your life to Jesus, and you are living in such a way that you are setting your own course. And because maybe so far you have not experienced great traumatic circumstances, you think you can do that. But the Lord will allow it for only so long. When we choose to live with secret sin, there is a measure of, check this out, there is a measure of grace that God provides that before that sin goes public, he lets us repent. We, we don't have to do open mic every Sunday. All, all you sinners, come forward and just on the mic, tell your sins of the past seven days. There's this measure of grace. But the Bible's clear. It's in the book of Numbers. It's 1 Corinthians 5, the young man having a sexual relationship with his father's wife at some point in time. And the Bible, is it five days? Is it five months? It's different. But there is some point in time if we continue to shipwreck our faith, living in opposition of King Jesus, that the secret sin becomes public. And you know why? Not because God wants to shame us. Not because there's condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God brings it to the light because he loves us. Because the longer we walk in willful sin, we fulfill the desires of the flesh and we dance with the thief who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. And the church has been given as a gift to go after the vessels on their own. And probably all of us at some point in time have been setting our own course. I know I have. And the church sends the rescue party. But at some point in time, difficult discipleship says, we went after them, we did everything we could, now we come back together and we keep moving forward. We pray for them and we love them, and when they shipwreck themselves, we welcome them back broken and battered. But that is what community does. And if you reject community, you reject that level of care. And when you find yourself run ashore, shipwrecked, who, of course the Lord will be there, but who's he going to bring you back to? Difficult Discipleship is actually part of the care of the community of Christ. But notice what Paul says. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. So that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Why did Paul deliver them to Satan? What is that phrase, that they may be taught not to, you know what that phrase means? Taught not to blaspheme? It means that I gave them over so they could come back. So that they would eventually find the end of their rope and the brokenness that that world was. It's the prodigal son waking up one day. It says, the Bible says, Luke 15, he came to his senses, right? He longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. And he said to himself, my father's servants eat better than this. Maybe I can go be a servant. And so Paul says of Hymenaeus and Alexander, I deliver them over to Satan so that they may be taught in a very difficult way, but they may be taught not to blaspheme. Ultimately, the beauty of community is that there is always, always a goal for real and radical restoration. Beloved, when we want to see people fail, we are not being a New Testament church. 
when people walk in sin and they walk in disobedience and it becomes public, we do not mock that, we do not gossip about that, and we do not think we're above that. We stand ready to bring them back into the fold. We stand ready to say, if you're ready to walk in Jesus and walk in the Spirit and walk in obedience, we're ready to walk with you. Paul would say, yes, I had to deliver them over to Satan. In 1 Corinthians 5, the young man having a relationship with his father's wife, when Paul would say, deliver them over to Satan, so that the spirit might be saved, even though the flesh might be destroyed. We always long for real restoration. Paul makes this clear at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says in verse 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul writing about? Grace, mercy, peace. He would say in verse 5 of chapter 1, now the goal of our instruction, the goal of difficult instruction, the goal of handing someone over to Satan as difficult as it is, the goal, he says, is love. And so part of the beauty of the community of faith is that we have people courageous enough. Listen, it takes courage to do this, amen? Okay, let me say that again. Listen. You're not going to get excited when I preach hard sermons. I'm going to preach them more often. Let me talk to parents in the room. Maybe parents that have like raised teenagers. It takes courage to lead, amen? When you see your child making decisions that are towards their destruction and to say, that will not be allowed. And to know that you might risk pushing them further away by coming down on them and setting harder lines. And maybe even as adult children that are, that are living a certain way and say, listen, That is not allowed in this family. It takes courage to step up and lead. But it's done because the desire is life to the fullest. It's done because the desire is true and genuine restoration. The story of the prodigal. Again, I believe the father knew what would come of the son. I believe he fully anticipated what the son would do as he would spend all his money on lavish living and make friends that weren't real friends. They just wanted his money. And he would throw the best parties, and then he would end up out of money, right? I think the father knew this was going to happen. And and he may not have known exactly how the son would try to take care of himself or how long the pride of the son would keep him from coming home. But the father, I believe, by the way, this isn't my commentary. I'm using Bible to support it. I believe biblically the father knew that the son would reach the end of himself And he hoped, he may not have known this, but he hoped the son would come to his senses. All right, Chris, how do you say he knew that and hoped for that? Because the Bible says in Luke 15 that when he did come to his senses and he said to himself, my father's servants eat better than I do, let me go see if I can be a servant. And he makes his way home, biblically, from a long way off. He's got a journey ahead of him. The text tells us that while the son was still A long way off, the father on the front porch went running towards him. I'm not trying to add to it. I think if the son is a long way off and the father's able to spot him and run to him, he might have been looking for him. So he knew, he knew the decision the son would make and the danger and the and the the torment that that would bring to his life. Beloved, God will allow us in his grace and mercy to make decisions that will hurt us. And while he knew that, he just hoped that one day he would be able to spot that son a long way off. And the father runs to him, disrespectful in that culture, by the way, to run. 
the father would run to him, throw a robe on his back, a ring on his finger with the, with the family signet, right, the family crest, and shoes on his feet because slaves didn't wear shoes. Sons wore shoes, right? And he welcomes them back and throws a party. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean we don't take seriously when we live in offense to God, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't take it seriously. Beloved, hear me. If you will live your life the way you want and you shipwreck yourself, funny thing about shipwrecks, they're painful, amen? Listen, some of you may be married, and you may be, some, some of you that are married, you, you may feel like your marriage is, is just empty and void, and you're playing games with someone at work or online or someone at the gym or someone at school, whatever it might be. If you, don't, if you don't stop it, you're, you, you might let that emotional affair become a physical affair. And you may come to the point in time where you say, this is not right, I need to go back. But you may have gone so far down that line that going back won't be an option because your spouse who was faithful, who biblically has the right to walk away, just might do that. That's painful. It's painful. But restoration is never unavailable. Restoration is never unavailable. And sinners and prodigals, they come home. And Paul would say to Timothy, listen, Hymenaeus and Alexander, they set a course. And it was a course that I could not follow them. We, we, we tried to bring them back. We, we did everything we could, but they, they wanted to go that way. And so ultimately, out of care for their soul, the only thing I needed to do was to let them go. And knowing that they would run ashore and they would shipwreck their faith, we will be ready to bring them back when that happens. And it may be the destruction of their flesh, but we care more for their spirit to be whole than their flesh to be appeased. And so hear me today, beloved. A few things that I would say, you normally would say, here's some next steps. Here's some warnings, all right? Here's some challenges. If you are living your life and neglecting God in the midst of it, today's the day to change. If you aren't seeking him by getting in the word of God and spending time in prayer, today's the day to change. If you are casually acquainted with the church and you do not belong to the family, today is the day to change. If you have no community and no one in your life who's gonna sound the alarm bell and shoot the flare gun and go after you as long as they can, as long as they can today is the day to change. And let me just say this, if you are living your life with that secret sin and you think you've got it in control, you are dangerously close to that sin being brought to the light and probably your faith being shipwrecked. And so today we're going to have an extended time of worship and a time of response because what I want you to know is that it is not too late. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as long as there's no condemnation in Christ, there's no condemnation at this church. And we will long for restoration stories. There, there's probably people in here, and this message has caused the enemy to lie in your ears, saying, as soon as this is over, you need to get out and not come back, because you aren't worthy to be there. I promise you that's a lie the enemy's going to speak during this time. You're not worthy to be there. You know what you did. Some of them know what you did. More people will find out what you did if you stay. And maybe even, I hope not, listen, we're for the big C church. But maybe you have attended another church and they've made you feel that way. Funny thing about BT, no perfect people allowed. Amen? Did you catch that? No perfect. We're all in process. 
But you, you, you do have to act on that, that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And out of great pastoral care and concern, I am begging you that if you are living your life and you've got that secret sin, that junk that you are filtering into your life through the internet, that pornography, that, that, that substance that you think you have under control, but it's a dependency now, that alcohol, that drug. If you've got that relationship on the side because your marriage feels empty, how about you work on filling up the marriage again? And we're going to open this altar and we're going to have prayer ministers all around. And, and I'm begging you that when we start to sing, just come forward. Listen, there's nothing magic about the front of the church. But there is something powerful about actively obeying the Spirit. You say, well, if I get up, people are going to know I'm messed up. Newsflash, you're messed up. And it doesn't matter what people might think. It matters what God knows. And so, oh, that God would do a work today in our church, amen? That we would stop with pretense and charades and flood the altar, not because the pastor said so, but because we so desperately want a move of God in our hearts and we want to leave the junk of the world behind and we don't want to shipwreck our faith. We want to course correct before that time comes. And so this time is yours. This altar is open. It's also a place to unload burdens. Don't misunderstand because the sermon's been very directed. Doesn't mean this isn't a time and place to bring those burdens, those those prayers and requests for healing, the financial needs, the restoration in the home. Bring those burdens. This is a time for you to be obedient to the Lord's directives. You've, you've said yes to Jesus, and, and for some reason you've not been baptized. Come forward and let's get you baptized. Come ask questions about membership. Get under the shield of the church. For heaven's sake, why would you want more demonic activity to come against you? But this is a time for you to respond, and the altar isn't a place for condemnation. It's a place for freedom. And don't be misled. We're not trying to manufacture an emotional moment, and coming and praying at the front of the church isn't a magic pill where it all gets better. It's a line in the sand where you declare before a holy God, I am going to walk with you. Convict me to seek out the help I need to rely on the people of God. And maybe for, for someone today, as we respond, what your response is, is actually going to become a member of the faith. If you have no relationship with Jesus, you've got no one to come back to. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about the Savior. You have no relational identity, so your religious activity is actually empty. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, then I am telling you that's your response today. Your response is to align your heart with his and to receive the free gift of salvation. I'm not talking about your church background, when you were baptized, who your grandma is. I'm talking about a moment in your life where you know that you said yes to Jesus because you, you, knew, you knew there was no hope other than him. And so as we open the altar and as we respond together, I'm gonna give you that chance today to make that decision. If you don't know if you said yes to Jesus, then right where you are, I ask you to just say this prayer with me today. Whether you're in this room or online, listen, the prayer is not a magic formula. Don't mindlessly recite words because you feel convicted. Call upon the name of Jesus because you need a Savior. So today, if that's what you need to do, just pray this prayer with me right where you are. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just pray this prayer, dear God. 
I know I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I know I'm hopeless without you. But I believe you made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus to come to earth, to die on the cross and pay for sin. And I believe he rose again in victory. And so Jesus, today I trust you with my life. And I ask you to be my savior. Thank you for loving me first. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen. Here we go real quick before we respond in worship. If you said that prayer today and you're watching online, I want you to let us know you made that decision. You, you can text us at 97,000. That's the number you would type. 97,000 and type the word BT salvation. One word, no space, so we can follow up with you. Here in the room, if you said that prayer today, you gave your life to Jesus. Listen, we, we, maybe you've been coming, you've been kind of wrestling with God. You're like, oh, this is the point in time where everybody keeps their head bowed and then, then I raise my hand. Not today. Lights up, eyes up. Jesus didn't die for secret admirers. He said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my father. If you said that prayer today and you gave your life to Jesus, you don't need to be ashamed. You need to be ready to celebrate. And so I want you to raise your hand and I want you to stand up. Anybody here? I'm not going to drag this on. Anybody here today? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Hey, if, you, if you've raised your hand, you stood up, I want you to come on, come, come forward, come meet me right down here. Anybody else? Anybody else? These are warships added to the fleet, guys. <laughs> Amen. I want you to know we celebrate this decision with you today. And giving your life to Jesus. Amen. Come on. We'll wait for you. It's all right. <laughs> it's a long walk. I want, I want you to know this, that giving your life to Jesus doesn't mean that you're not going to have bad days. Life with Christ doesn't mean it's always roses and rainbows. But it means you'll never chart those waters alone again. He will never leave you or forsake you. All right, come on. Come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, I said we wouldn't wait long. We'll, we'll wait as long as we have to. I ain't going anywhere. So we celebrate this decision. What we want to do is we want to pray with you, and we want to give you a, a gift today, and we want to talk about any next steps that you uh, may be interested in taking. And so I'm going to ask you if you'll head right over here. Isato, you want to head over here? Peter, as well, if y'all can be ready, or one of y'all, either one, someone's got it. Isato, you got it? All right. So if y'all head right over here, uh, Isato is going to be there, and we're going to give you that gift today. We're going to answer any questions you might have. Let's celebrate life change today. Hey. Prayer ministers, make your way forward now. Those that are going to serve here at the altar. Listen, we celebrate what God has just done, but we don't believe that he's done just yet. And so use this time. Listen, listen, listen. Do not walk in and out of this place unchanged. Do not go back to a life that is empty, not even half full, because you are fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Bring that to light today. Bring that to the altar today. Come today not because this is of condemnation. This is of freedom in Jesus who restores all things to himself if we are just willing to walk that road. Would you stand and as the Lord leads, would you respond? Father, move in this place, move in this time. Draw hearts to yourself. Make all things new. And Father, let this moment and this day be for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.